Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hello and welcome to The Credit Edge, a weekly markets podcast. My name is James Crombie. I'm a senior editor at Bloomberg. This week, we're very pleased to have on the show Michael Tobin, who covers credit for Bloomberg News in New York. Great to have you on the show, Michael. Yeah, glad to be here. Also on today's Credit Edge, we're going to be talking to another Michael, Mike Holland, who covers the healthcare sector for Bloomberg Intelligence, also in New York. How are you doing, Mike? Great, thanks. Appreciate being here. Great. So a real Thanksgiving treat for all our listeners. We'll be coming back to healthcare in a bit. But first, Michael Tobin, you've written some great stories over the last few weeks. Fascinating stuff. Well done. Let's start with the Chicken Fingers, the restaurant chain. Raising Cane's recently came to my attention. Everyone seems to be talking about it, with shops popping up all over the place. They borrowed a whole load of money recently, which is why they make it onto the credit edge. But what's all the fuss about, Michael? Chicken Fingers from Louisiana? Is there something special in the sauce? What's going on? Well, only in America can you become a chicken finger billionaire. So Todd Graves, he's the founder of Raising Cane's, which is a Louisiana-based chicken finger-only restaurant. They do one sandwich as well, but they have a really limited menu of chicken fingers, toast, and their sauce that everybody goes crazy for, and they have fries too. So they're a private company, but they came to the market and they sold $500 million of junk bonds a few weeks ago. And we found a real secret in the documents, which is Graves maintains a 90% ownership stake in the company. And by our estimates, we uh, assigned a valuation to the company, and we determined that he is worth uh, $7.6 billion. But just back up a minute. Have you been to one of these restaurants? Do they deserve all the hype? So they have one in Times Square, and then I just learned that they have another one in Astor Place. I went to the Times Square one this summer for the first time just to check it out because I've heard about it. And um, I did have the chicken tenders, and I got a lemonade as well. What about a commemorative you? cup. What about you, Mike Holland? Have you been to Raising I have, Cane's? I have not, but it sounds delicious. So back up to the owner again. What's his name? Uh, Todd Graves. And he's a billionaire, multi-billionaire. Multi-billionaire. Why didn't we know about this already? Because it wasn't a publicly traded company. Uh, I mean, he does a lot of promotion and marketing for the brand. So he's done a partnership with Post Malone, who's a rapper. Uh, sounds like he's friends with Snoop Dogg as well. So he has a lot of kind of popular culture clout. But the financials of the company weren't really publicly known until we got all of the documents and parsed through them and found all this information out. So they sold some junk bonds. Is it a high quality company? Is it a risky company? What kind of... Um credit risk are we talking about here? Yeah, S&P assigned the issuer rating a double B minus rating. So kind of it's higher than double B. Uh, no, it's higher than uh, B plus, right? But it's not that double B plus rating. Um, and then the issue level rating for the bond itself was a B rated rating. And what was the demand like for their bond issue? They said that they were oversubscribed like uh, in under 24 hours. So there was a lot of demand just like there were for the chicken fingers. They sold $500 million of junk bonds. Uh, the initial price talk was for a yield as high as 10% or so, but that came in significantly and it was um, 
nine and three eighths, I believe. Why so much demand for a deal like this? I mean, restaurants are doing pretty well. People like restaurants. Um, even some of the riskier credits out there have found a market. Um, so American Airlines has been reselling some of its debt as well to refinance. Um, there's been some LBO debt that's hit the market as well for Veritiv. So there's a window that's open in credit markets. And I think part of that is due to the, the soft landing thesis that we keep hearing about all the time. The data has been supportive. And if there's a window to sell debt, people are doing it right now. And if you want to be exposed as an investor to this company, you have to buy the bonds. Yeah, there's a TLA, but I mean, that's the bank market and it's not available to investors. So this is the only way that investors could get access to raising canes. So TLA, that's just uh, for those who don't know, that's a loan, leverage loan. Um, but again, that's not easy to access if you're retail or, or any other investor. So this is the only way in. Um, but you know, the, the, the bond has uh, oversubscribed, it's done really well. Um, is there a lot of froth now in the credit markets? I mean, talking about soft landing, talking about excess demand. I mean, what's what does this say about the credit markets if you kind of step back a bit? There is still support out there. I mean, to be sure, there are some deals that are challenged. For example, like um, there was a um, platinum deal that got pooled. Platinum Equity, one of the sponsors, ended up funding it themselves. Um, there's you know pockets that are having trouble. So there's some stuff that was due earlier this month that still hasn't found a home yet in the loan market. Um, but you know, just last week we saw Citrix, which was kind of a notoriously troubled company that uh, banks were working to sell buyout debt for, like all of last year, and they took some like pretty steep losses on it. But Citrix was able to like come back to the market last week and sell uh, an upsized billion-dollar leveraged loan to take out some preferred equity from the sponsors. So there is like uh, a credit-by-credit credit riskier market that exists right now. And as you mentioned, the sector itself has done quite well. Is that a sign that the consumer? The U.S. consumer is in decent shape, that discretionary spending is strong? Yeah. Or in this case, is it more a story of budget dining, affordable treats? I mean, I looked, this, looked up some of their combo platters recently, and it seems, you know, not bad pricing for New York City, certainly better than alternatives like Shake Shack, but, you know, maybe closer to Chick-fil-A. But, but is it just a budget option for people that are kind of struggling with the inflation? That's the funny thing that I've noticed is like reading some of the commentary that people are talking about on social media, like $15 for uh, chicken tenders seems like kind of a standard New York City price, but other people think that that's really expensive. But the consumer is still holding up, right? Right. You can think about like travel, which is doing fairly well, like the cruise lines are doing well as well. So I think that discretionary spending is still out there. And if you want to spend $15 on chicken tenders, go for it. And on that point, though, couldn't anyone make this stuff? I mean, you know, me and Mike Holland could just set up a restaurant tomorrow. What's the risk that someone leaner, better, cheaper comes and takes all their business away and this, this big boom for raising cane suddenly goes bust? Should we worry about that? Well, you need to get the sauce. It's not about the chicken tenders. So the sauce is really what makes it. Uh, but I mean, they have 750 locations. They're expanding. They did $3.3 in sales uh, in the 12 months end of June, and they want to hit $10 billion by the end of the decade. So if you want to compete with Raising Cane's, you got to scale. And they have a really limited menu and pretty narrow options and a very devoted fan base. So I think it would be hard for set up James Chicken Shop. I don't know. I've got some good sources. I'll uh, bring those back to the show next week. But so before we talk to Mike Holland over at Bloomberg Intelligence, what else is on your radar, Michael? You had a great story out recently on items seized from criminals by U.S. Marshals, which is then auctioned off. What kinds of things are we talking about here and how much is it selling for? No bonds. Uh, there were Rolexes, uh, Lamborghinis, Ferraris, yachts, um, all sorts of wild things that criminals got in uh, either illicit gains or property that was used to commit crimes. And the government has auctioned it off and 
as part of the U.S. Marshalls auctions. There were no bonds, uh, there were no stocks, at least that I saw, but there was a lot of cryptocurrency as well that was used in darknet drug dealing operations and that kind of thing. Are they selling at high prices? Oh, the government got probably the best crypto trade of all time. They sold uh, a lot of Bitcoin right at the very top pretty much about two years ago. So they timed it perfectly, perhaps coincidentally. That story is actually on the website. Do check it out. And thank you so much, Michael Tobin with Bloomberg News in New York. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Read all of Michael's great scoops on the Bloomberg Terminal and, of course, at Bloomberg.com. So as I mentioned earlier, we're also joined by Mike Holland with Bloomberg Intelligence. How's it going, Mike? Uh, well, great to be here. And you look at the, the healthcare sector, which is obviously a huge part of US credit markets, especially at the risky end. I'm always surprised how badly these companies are doing when you consider the aging population and all of the illnesses that come with it, plus the new era of coronavirus. And you think of health care being you know, something that you know, is really in need. We all need a lot more of it as we're, as we're loading up on chicken fingers. And yet we do see these big earnings disappointments. Debt from some of the big providers is really selling off. Why is that, Mike? Why is it doing so badly? Is it just bad management? Too much debt too quickly? What's going on here? You know, I, I think it's it's a lot to do with dispersion across the space. There are some providers that have been investing smartly over the last decade, and there's some that have been over-levered for the past decade. And, you know, we, case in point is maybe Rite Aid, which just filed for bankruptcy after maybe 10 years of pressure. You know, it's, they've been lagging for a very long time. And when the tide goes out, as uh, we're starting to see, the companies that are over-levered and that have pressured earnings with legacy earnings, you know, drivers, um, you know, they struggle. Um, if you don't mind, I'd like to do a quick shameless plug for our annual Bloomberg Intelligence Credit Outlook Conference. Uh, you know, as, as we head into what's shaping to be shaping up to be a very tumultuous 2024, with rising rates, fomenting price volatility, and, and growing risk dispersion across high yield and investment grade credit markets, uh, we've got a great lineup of very smart credit folks with practiced views that will be sharing uh, risks and opportunities that we see on December 7th here at Bloomberg headquarters. If you'd like to sign up, you can go check me out um, my uh, LinkedIn page. We, I just posted a registration link last night. And uh, we'd love to have anyone and everyone join us to uh, share in our views. As I said, you know, the tide is going out. And over the past year, we've seen a significant pickup in the number of bankruptcies. Uh, names under my coverage, names like Air Methods, which is a uh, you know, Air Medical Transport or Envision Healthcare, which was a big private equity-owned LBO, um, all the way to, you know, specialty pharma names like Lynette and Acorn, uh, to Malincrot, as well as Smile Direct, which has the braces, you know, the Smile Direct yeah. filed, as well as a, a series of other names. Uh, and I think what's pressuring these folks is, uh, you know, they're, they're not skating to where the puck's going to be in a lot of ways, it seems like to me. Gener we could get into the particulars of all those subsectors, but for now, I'll just pause. And well, in simple terms, though, why, why are some of these companies just doing so badly? Are they in particular sectors that, um, you know, just there isn't much demand for that kind of healthcare service? Or is it merely the fact that they just loaded up on debt and they can't pay it back now because interest rates have spiked? I think it's a, there, there's a couple different things going on, right? So if you look at hospitals in the U.S., you, you've got uh, th three, three names that jump out to me in high yield and now uh, high grade. HCA was a rising star last or two couple years ago. 
Uh, you've got companies that spent years, like HCA, being smart and strategic, using their cash flow to invest in new ancillary sites of care and new opportunities for growth. Companies like Tenet it, did so, but it took them a little more time. They didn't do so as uh, quickly as HCA. And then uh, on the bottom end, you've got Community Health, which uh, their second liens are trading in the 40s right now after being uh, trading above par during COVID. COVID really boosted the liquidity of the hospital space uh, through various mechanisms and emergency COVID measures. And today, as the tide goes out from COVID and those liquidity measures, we're really seeing pressure on the companies that were not uh, preparing for a future without that sort of support. So community health, their second liens, is this the bonds we're talking about? They are second lien bonds that were trading around 103 uh, back in 2021, and now they're trading around 40 cents. Does that mean they're going to go bust or file for bankruptcy? It's a long story with Community Health. I've followed this name for longer than I'd like to suggest. Um, but back in 2018, they did a uh, distressed debt tender where the liability management exercise basically layered on uh, second lien debt uh, to term out the unsecureds. And they've never really grown into the capital structure since they did a big uh, M&A deal uh, back in 2010-2011 with buying uh, HMA. So 40 cents on the dollar for their junk bonds, that suggests the market is at least telling us a very high probability of default. That's what, right. What, what would your estimate be? I mean, is it going to be a, a blow up um, 2024? It, it depends, right? Uh, the, the, the actors that are involved in that name, I, I won't specify which, but they've been very smart in, uh, in doing what they could to extend maturities, uh, be, whether it be just literally extending the maturity on one bond, which was an, an interesting liability management exercise, but also tendering, uh, uh, trading debt for equity and, and cash as well. So communities' debt load, you know, it's not really come down uh, substantially, or their leverage, rather, has gone up. So they're levered eight, nine times right now, and hospitals typically trade around eight, nine times. But so, they, I mean, how, how much debt are we talking about? Uh, Twelve billion. All right, that's quite a big holding for a lot of uh, junk bond investors. So they are heading for trouble. I mean, let's let's flip it around though. Let's say that Fed is done hiking, as some people are saying, and we're going to avoid recession and maybe even see some rate cuts next year. Doesn't that take the pressure off? Isn't there a turnaround in sight for some of these companies? Couldn't they just uh, wing it and get get to the end of next year? Would be okay. It sounds like a rosy scenario. I, as a credit guy, I'm a lot more cynical. And as what what we're seeing right now, it seems like the you know uh, this looming recession that everyone keeps talking about. We're already really seeing it in healthcare. Uh, we're already seeing pullbacks in volumes. We're, we're seeing trends pushing folks away from uh, patients away from the hospital and into outpatient centers, which is detrimental to hospitals that don't have that capability, like a community health. Whereas HCA and Tenet have really invested in the outpatient, the cheaper cost of care settings, increasingly where you're getting those surgeries done. And so they're, I, I'm not sure that even a lower rate environment is going to help community health as much. Who else is in trouble? Well, um, you know, there's a handful of names out there that I think are interesting right now. Uh, there's, you know, Bausch Health is obviously in trouble. They have uh, have done uh, a series of maneuvers over the last several years, including the, the most recent was uh, Icon coming in and catalyzing a spin of Bausch and Loam, leaving uh, the Remainco with very high leverage and very little growth uh, catalysts. And I think we'll see how that spin out eventually 
com- if, if it comes to completion, it seems like it's on hold right now. I wrote a note on it a couple months ago basically saying that there, there might not be a full spin anytime soon. And that, so that's one that's in trouble, and it's one of the biggest issuers in the high-yield space. There are actually, as well, names that are stressed that look interesting to me. A name like Motive Care, which provides non-emergency transport for uh, Medicaid members. So instead of taking an ambulance to the hospital, you can take a lift, and the state through Medicaid pays for it. They've got a 2025 bond that's trading around 7.5% right now after it was closer to 10% a couple months ago. Management at a conference two, a couple weeks ago said that they have secured capacity to address those bonds, and they probably do so a year before they mature because it's a high yield name. So if you bought that bond today, you get a 9% yield to uh, 11 uh, November uh, 2024 refinancing, which I think is interesting. So is it as simple as saying like community health, old school hospitals, bricks and mortar type, and then the providers, there's some value, the, the service providers, there's more value in those? I think the way I think about hospitals in the U.S. is it's very, very geography and demographics really determine uh, outcomes, right? So if you're in an area that's growing, if you're in Asheville, North Carolina, or you're in Texas or Florida or Missoula, Montana, there are places that are growing and people are going to that have good payer mix where people can afford care. Uh, those are good facilities to own. But if you're in, a, a, in West Virginia where jobs are declining and people are moving away, those are not good hospitals to own. Bit of a tangent, but you also look at Weight Watchers. Oh, yes. What's going on there, Mike? Oh, goodness. Um, for fear of speaking more about Ozempic, uh, Weight Watchers uh, has been pressured in recent years. During COVID, they lost a lot of uh, momentum when they shut down a lot of their studios. New CEO came in and has tried to pivot the company to a digital native um, uh, offering, and uh, growth has not come. And so they pivoted to buy sequence, which was a uh, basically a let's call it a, a provider of coverage for folks that are looking to get Ozempic in various GLP ones. Uh, the numbers, the alternative data we have on the terminal here suggests that there's not been a very big pickup since that acquisition of sequence, and that we're still waiting on it. So Weight Watchers, you know, those bonds are are trading distressed as well. Uh, and we're still waiting on that uptick that Seamus Astani wants to see from the sequence acquisition. Are you optimistic? I, uh, like, like many legacy, uh, I'm not a member of Weight Watchers, but uh, I do appreciate behavioral change instead of using drugs to effectuate change. And I think a lot of legacy members have shown on social media that they're suspicious of the, the pivot that Weight Watchers has made, and, and we'll see how that story plays out. So just to wrap it up, yeah, uh, just going back to Ozempic, I mean, this is before that it was AI, right? And before that it was crypto, and this is like the new thing now. And I guess we're going back to AI with everything happening. But um, how, like, what are the legs on that now? I feel like everybody was talking about this for a while, and it seemed really overdone. There were there was a dialysis company that had their bonds tank uh, mm. off some kind of like speculative, I don't want to say speculative, but, you know, coming up data. About it was how, speculative. It was speculative? I, I believe so, in my view. Okay. It, how kind of like overdone is that? Like, is the market kind of like coming to terms that they're still trying to wrap their head around what uh, these drugs mean? Yeah. So the name you're talking about is Davida, and they're one of the larger. Uh, di- there's really two dialysis providers in the U.S. Uh, Fresenius Medical Care and Davida, and their bonds or their equity sold off about 20 percent on on the news of a uh, study that suggests uh, that study that ended early because they suggested that it would have impacts on end stage regional disease, and I think. <clears throat> In a lot of ways, there's a lot of hope attributed to Ozempic, but there's very little concern about 
downside risk. And anytime you see this much enthusiasm about a drug that's going to basically cure the ills of the U.S. healthcare system and half the population, I would be suspicious. Uh, I think attributing a lot of upside to something that we don't have much information about is uh, a foolhardy. And the way that I talk to clients about this is, I, I, like with Davida and some other names, it's, it's almost as if folks were using Ozempic as an excuse to reposition away from that equity story or the credit story because there are other issues on the horizon for those names. Um, I, I don't agree with a lot of the $100 billion total addressable market for uh, Ozempic and the other uh, GLP-1s, but uh, we'll see. So to wrap it up, Mike, give us your outlook for the next, um, say, 12 months or so. What are you most worried about for your industries and where do you think the biggest opportunity is? I think the the risk of a recession really starting to flow through. I mean, we're starting to see job cuts uh, publicized in the media, you know, in, increasing at an increasing rate. And uh, for healthcare, um, you know, what used to be consumer non-discretionary is increasingly discretionary as patients or plan members or people are on hook on the hook for uh, higher co-pays with their insurance. Uh, as folks. Uh, get challenged and rates rise and excess savings kind of dry up, uh, I think you'll start to see that bleed through to healthcare. Mike Holland with Bloomberg Intelligence in, in New York. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, we look, James. We look forward to having you back on the show very soon. And we'll see you at the event on oh, December 7th. Of course. Look forward to seeing you there. In New York. And check out Mike Holland's uh, LinkedIn Link- profile for the link to get into that show. Um, and again, thanks to Michael Tobin with Bloomberg News. Read all of his great scoops on the terminal and at Bloomberg.com. Thank you. Please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple, Google and Spotify. Give us a review, tell your friends or email me directly at jcrombie8 at Bloomberg.net. I'm James Crombie. It's been a pleasure having you. Join us again next week on The Credit Edge. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.